you know, I, I <clears throat> open yourself up to experiences. You know, that's, we don't grow or change without that. And obviously my place of passion for that is through the sea because it, it's, it's rich with experience. I mean, you almost, there's almost no guarantee anytime you go out that, you know, it's going to be the same. You know? um, so I like that cause it, it's constantly throwing the opportunity for experience at me, but it doesn't have to be that if that's not your thing. It's just changed everything in my life. Every single person has a gift to offer the world. And what does that look like? How can we inspire people to do that? Grab onto that and, and be anchored in that because um, their fulfillment lies in their identity, not in their actions. You can kind of sort of BS everybody else, but it's that kind of thing where you know if you're on it or not. Wake up and clean the slate, and you don't have to believe the lies that people have told you. You're not living that to its potential. It's a waste. Welcome to the Forgotten Art Project. My name is David. And I'm Shara. We are so excited to be here today. Thank you for joining us. I'm so excited to uh, be in a very unique place this morning. Um, We're at Dean Burke's home today in Tacoma. And thank you so much for inviting us into your home. That's really awesome. It's great to, to meet with you today. Yeah, this is great. I'm glad you're here. Thank you. Yeah, definitely. Um, so you're known for a, quite a few things here in Tacoma. Um, do you mind giving us a quick run by of who you are, what you've done, and um, why you're here in Tacoma? Yeah. Um, wow. So, yeah, I've been here um, 23 years this year, so... Um, and um, uh, my job, I, I'm the executive director of the Tacoma South Sound Sports Commission. <clears throat> Excuse me. Nobody knows what that is because sports commissions are kind of a behind-the-curtain kind of uh, agency, but uh, they're all across the country. Sports commissions work on those. We work on sports events that bring uh, tourism and economic development to a city or a region. So the uh, easiest way to explain it is when you see a headline that says something like, I'll use a really high level, like, um, Houston wins the bid to host the Super Bowl. Hmm. Like when a city bids to host a sport, that's what a sports commission does. So, but it's scalable all the way down to like second, third tier markets like ours, you know, um, even though we're not hosting a Super Bowl or an Olympics or something like that. So we, we do that. That's what we, we work on. And uh, that's my day job. And, and I love it. I love to work in my community. I've been in sports my whole life um, as a career, you know, in one fashion or another. I mean, from the you know earliest days of just working in a bike shop and working in you know, retail as the, as the beginning up to, you know, big corporations and, you know, global marketing and stuff like that. So I've always been close to it. And, um, this has definitely been my, my favorite chapter in my life because it's my community mm-hmm. and, um, uh, I get to see the fruits of that work every day, you know, locally. And, uh, so there's, it's fun. And you, you know, anything about Tacoma, you know, that we're, we have the most ridiculous amount of pride for yeah. <laughs> a city, you know, that, that when you live here. So, um, definitely. so it's really, it's, yeah, that's really cool. Awesome. So your your work, your job happens to be, you know, getting out into the water, getting out into the, you know, different areas in Tacoma and bringing sports to Tacoma. But um, would you say that that's more of your specific passion is sports in general? Or do you have a specific area that you're really passionate about? I think, you know, everybody that works in sports, you know, brings a sport with them, you know, that they're into, right, you know, or, or an expression or an outlet. And, you know, just I've, I've always, I've said it before, I've always been kind of a wiggly person, so I need something to get the wiggles out, right, you know, like, <laughs> like, like, like the kids. So, uh, 
So I've always, you know, been attracted to, to outdoor sports mostly, you know, not, uh, I didn't grow up like a team sport guy, you know, I wasn't playing mm-hmm. soccer or baseball or anything like that. I was, you know, racing bicycles or, or skating or, or, you know, hiking or, you know, climbing mountains or rock climbing. So, you know, always, always something to that and, and the water, of course. And, <clears throat> um, so my, you know, my thing is definitely, you know, I joke at, you know, 501, everything from 501 after in the evening is, is water time and, and mm-hmm. weekends as well. So I'm on the water, uh, paddling, um, as much as I can. And that's, um, that's a big piece of me in my life. And, and, um, and it's a changing piece of Tacoma's life, you know, mm-hmm. uh, as a city, you know, and that's, Obviously, we'll get more into that in this, but that's you know kind of the, the pivot point here. So yeah, where where would this um, like passion for being outdoors come from? I mean, is it something that you've been doing your whole life, like since you were a little kid, or is it something you adopted as an adult? You know, um, I grew up in a in an area that was pretty hard to be outdoors in. Um, I grew up in the Gulf Coast, and it's um, flat and ridiculously hot and infested with bugs and poisonous biting things, you know, and, awesome. and, uh, and, yeah. and concrete for, you know, thousands of miles. And, and, um, <clears throat> it's, it's very difficult to be part of the outdoors down there, um, in the ways that I like to, um, you know, I, I don't, not sliding it, but just, it, you know, the expressions I want to do it. And I, I can, I trace it back in my mind. Um, you know, our family, we had a, a friend who, when I was a child, he was a television station manager in in, uh, in Houston, and uh, he, he managed the public television. We called it the Sesame Street Channel, you know. Yeah. And um, but his passion was photography. So, and this is back in the '70s when when that was not a lot of people's passion. You know, it was a lot of work to be a photographer. You had to develop film and all this stuff. And and um, so he would take his vacations and and take these photos. And his home was full of photos from. He, he would mostly go west, you know, like Rockies to the west coast. And he had these two photos in his home that always stuck out in my mind. Um, one was a real iconic uh, photo in Colorado that every photographer in the world shoots. It's a it's an old dilapidated um, mining cabin with a you know on a on a creek you know in the mountains where they would you know do their work and and it's beautiful beautiful setting. And then another one was this uh, picture on the Oregon coast of a of a sunset on the Pacific and. <clears throat> They were, I was like four years old and these pictures just knocked the wind out of me for some reason. I, I We would go to their house and I would have nothing to do. I'd just be a kid wandering around because they didn't have kids. And so I'd just, you know, walk around the house while my parents, you know, and then played cards or something. And, and then I would, so I would look at all these photos that he had all over his home and, and I would just get lost in them, especially those, um, those Western ones. And, and I just knew it, it, you know, like four years old, I was like, someday that's going to be my life, you know, I want to be there. So, so I always, you know, all my, um, daydreams and, and, you know, visions growing up were always far away places. You know, they were never, uh, it just never resonated for a second with me that that would be where I stayed, you know, ever. Mm. And, and then as I grew in, in the types of, you know, sports and expressions and things that interested me most were definitely not available where, where I lived, you know, I, um, I just kind of had this trajectory that was not going to stop, you know, until I got here, you know. So, so you know, that was kind of the genesis of it, and it just always stayed that way. And, and um, I, I kind of consider myself lucky a little bit. You know, I'm right in the middle of the Gen X demographic, and, 
And so like the late eighties, early nineties, you know, there was kind of a, uh, um, and it, 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 I don't, I hate to use the word, <laughs> but there was like this extreme sports revolution in the U S that got oh, really yeah. popular, you know, and, and, and the marketing of it and all that was, you know, right there. And, and that, you know, that stuff was super attractive. You know, I was really excited about that and, and it gave me kind of a, an escape in my mind to follow and part, you know, and, ima- and imagine it just gave me something to hang on to, you know? And, mm-hmm. and, uh, <clears throat> and so as soon as I got the chance, um, you know, I was just, I was joked that I had a lot of arrows up in the air for a couple of years there in the early college. I was just waiting for one to land, you know, and, mm-hmm. and as soon as it did, I was gone and, and I got, you know, the chance to, to be here. And, and, uh, so that's that, you know, I mean, it, it was, um, so you, you know, moved I, here because I, yeah. you want to be here. Yeah. yeah. I mean, literally the day I got here, you know, I landed, I found an apartment within an hour of landing at the airport and then I went straight to the mountains. You know, okay. and, and I, and I, you know, and I was in a tent for like the next 10 days, you know, I was oh, just wow. like, you know, I was like, this is, you know, and it was like that forevermore, you know, and we would, you know, in those early days, I mean, I'd get off work at, you know, 7 PM and have to be back at work at 8 AM the next morning. And I'd go camping that night, you know, <laughs> just like, just be gone, you know, wherever it was, you know, I'd just go up some fire road or something. It didn't matter, you know, and just get out. And, um, and that's, you know, it's been that way ever since. So. So you were itching for it. Big time. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, so you went from kind of having this drive, this very strong drive to be here in this area and to be participating in these different outdoor sports. But, um, I mean, what was your catalyst to kind of take it to the next step and bring it in from just being something you wanted to do personally to bring it to a citywide kind of a thing? And I think it's something that just comes with age, you know, uh, I won't pretend I wasn't blind, you know, growing up to my environment. I think a lot of us are when we're young. And um, so I won't act like it was some kind of early vision to to be where I'm at right now, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and <clears throat> I think I had this kind of aha moment here as, because when I moved here, I mean, Tacoma was in rough shape, you know. It was in really rough shape. How so? Um, it was still very... Um, depressed from its from its shift as as industry was the lights were going out on industry you know mm-hmm. and so we had a lot of leftover you know ruins and and um, you know industrial sites that were you know abandoned and toxins in the ground and and when all that stuff walks away um, you know you're just left with a a mess you know kind of a junkyard. Because they're not cleaning up. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're not cleaning shutting up. their doors from yeah, losing and, business and yeah, they're walking you gotta away. You got to put those companies in a headlock and, you know, twist their arm for years and years. And, you know, it's it's a begrudging battle to to make that right. And and with that, you know, follows the social scene, the economy and whatnot. And, you know, I mean, it's no secret, you know, Tacoma went through, a, 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 like a lot of post-industrial cities, you know, went through a really dark period there for a few decades. And, uh, you know, it's kind of a crescendo in and a crescendo out as far as the, the intensity of it. And, um, you know, with that comes all kinds of stuff, you know, poor housing values, you know, poor, uh, it reflects that, you know, people aren't making money, you know, that maybe we're working in those factories or whatever the case may be. And, and it, you know, ripples all, all through society. So it was, it was rough. <clears throat> and from a, an environmental standpoint, um, like, you know, we'll, we'll just get to the water right away on this is that you know, we didn't really have a very appetizing, uh, environment here for getting in the water. You know, mm-hmm. our shoreline was disgusting. 
Uh, the waters were super polluted. You know, the set of the soil on the shoreline was super polluted. I mean, literally, the gateway from land to sea was was unapproachable. You know, hmm. physically, you know, there was like debris and ruins. You know, broken concrete, pier pilings. You know, just like you wouldn't, it, it, you know, imagine demolishing a building on the shoreline and then saying, you know, go get in the water. You know, so it's physically yeah. hard to do. You know, so so there was that kind of thing. You know, kind of all down our shoreline, and and um, you know the the Foss waterway, which is the, the waterway that, that is in downtown, the, the closest piece of the port there, you know, that was the first designated EPA Superfund waterway in the nation. Wow. Right. So number one in the book, you know, yeah. and, um, so when did that happen? <clears throat> um, I yeah. know the answer to that. <laughs> Do you um, have a general? Well, I know when the clean, so this is 2018. So 2016, celebrated the 10-year anniversary of the cleanup so that be, that began in 2006 so somewhere between i think 2000 and 2006 that that process that stamp began and they began that process of making the cleanup so but fairly recently <clears throat> yeah yeah i mean so 10-year anniversary of the cleanup so they finished the cleanup in um uh in 2006, right? I mean, get the math right. Yeah, they, so however long it took before that, it was a few years the project was, millions and millions of dollars. The city actually took the liability on for that, which was unprecedented. No, no one, it, it was, uh, nothing was getting done. The city bought the shoreline out, all the rights to the shoreline, and with it, all the liability that came with it. So oh, wow. um, the project was exponentially more expensive than they than they imagined. And... Um, just because of the size of it, because of how bad things were. Yeah, just you know, you just don't know what you don't know sometimes. And and they, uh, but they needed to do it. They knew it was going to be economically vital to making a transformation. You know, you can't you can't do the things that have happened down there without that. And they weren't getting anywhere with with anything else. So they uh, they did it. So it's a big thing. Um, and so that transformation, you know, starts to ripple. Right, as as moved down the shoreline, down you know, Ruston Way, and of course. The most famous site down here, the uh, the Sarco site, which is Point Ruston now, mm-hmm. and um, and you have this massive um, transformation there, where now you have access to the water. You physically have it, you know, like and and you have reason to do it. Like the water is is cleaner. Mm-hmm. Um, the the path from land to water is cleaner and easier and um, more inviting. And when you set the table for that, um, you know people take it right you know they start to yeah. like show up you know and well when did you make that transition because when you first arrived here the water wasn't great oh, sure yeah yeah that was your question i sorry i got off track oh no you're no, totally no. fine it's great to hear the history of tacoma and yeah. to hear where it's come from and how far it's gone but i i mean I, you got here you went to the mountains when did you start making that transition yeah you know i i um i kind of came into it kind of when the sport of paddleboarding um kind of first showed up it's a young sport, you know, it, it really probably uh, maybe 2000, late 2000s, eight, nine, somewhere in there. So you're uh, a stand up paddleboarder? Yeah, boarder? yeah, that's what got me into or? it, you know. I, I Kayaks never appealed to me at all. Um, they still don't. Um, nothing wrong with them. I just, it's just not for me. And um, don't like being squished. Yeah, it's just weird, you know, it's just, it wasn't comfortable and just didn't excite me. And, and um, you know, growing up, I played in, in the water and the surf and stuff. So, you know, a little bit of, little bit of a surf background and just you know that that idea and you know board sports and skateboarding and snowboarding and skiing and stuff so the, the idea of a paddleboard you know kind of had an instant uh appeal for that that element and 
<clears throat> so I tried it kind of like a lot of people were doing back about that time. You know, there was a lot of, a lot of, you know, kind of the, the sport was moving around anywhere there was water and, and companies were showing up and doing demos and stuff. So I tried it out and I was like, man, this is really a great way to access the water. And holy cow, there's a lot of water around me. You know, like mm. I have this massive resource, like just two minutes from my door. Right. And, um, and so that was a big, um, a big deal. Um, suddenly I could get that. I will say that arriving at the Northwest, one of the things that did change for me was my relationship to the water, <laughs> like kind of went dark, you know, I, I, mm. cause growing up on the Gulf coast where it is hot and sunny and, and all that, you, it's, it's like warm beaches. It's super warm. You know, I mean, the water's yeah. 90 degrees, you know, it's, it's too warm sometimes, you know? So, um, so I, I kind of had a absence of, um, of that connection for a long time and I, I missed it, you know, but I didn't, I didn't entirely know how to approach it here. I mean, it's, it's cold, dark water. And, um, yeah, what's your first cold. instinct not to go in? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so it took a little bit of, um, of, you know, learning with that, but again, that gateway, you know, getting on the, on the paddleboard and getting out there and having that experience and, you know, it's congruent to other board sports where there's just something different about standing on something that than mm-hmm. sitting on something or, or even like a, you know, like a rowboat, you know, I think a rower is disconnected from the water by way of the oar pins and, and the uh, seat because it makes a mechanized experience. It's more, I think it feels more like riding a bike than it does, you know, it's not again, no discredit to what they're doing at all. It's just for me, the experience, there's a missing piece to it. So <clears throat> I was, um, I was really moved by the experience and the way it connected to it. Um, the access I could have, the mobility, and and I just started paddling, you know, like anybody who's gotten into it. You know, it's kind of like this is great. I want to do this all the time, and and it really fit into life really well because it's so close. You know, I didn't have to uh, pack up and drive an hour or mm. or further. I mean, there's so much around us. You know, I mean, it's so that's one of the you know our, our geographic diversity in the Pacific Northwest is is what separates us from. It's pretty rare, isn't it? It's super rare. I mean, we we to have saltwater and massive glacial mountains that close to each other, that's rare. You know, I mean, it it starts here and it goes up into BC and that's it, you know, and there's no other, you know, there's not an East Coast version of it. There's not, you know, they don't do it in Florida or California, you know. No. The this the distance between mountains and sea gets further. So, um to and you know, Tacoma has this really sweet spot. Um you know, not unlike Bellingham, but way more developed, you know, mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, you can live here and you don't have to be a student, you know? Yeah. And, um, and so the, um, the ability to, you know, live in an urban setting, have a life, have a job, have the resources of, of, you know, being sandwiched between saltwater and glaciers is priceless. Right. And, and, um, but, but specifically living here and having this saltwater access, uh, well, here comes the rain. I know it's <laughs> the storm is here. Um, is uh, it's so close? It's so abundant, you know. And so, yeah, you know, as the story goes on with this, you know, what happens is like the biggest experiences in your life happen two minutes out your door, you know. And yeah, so yeah, um, I've heard an incredible story about um, a very unique experience you had out in the water here in Tacoma. Um, and what would you call the water out here? The the sound. The you've called it other things too. So I I always lead with calling it the Salish Sea, okay. which is it's 
native name, and um, it is the proper name. In fact, in cartography and map making, it is now labeled as the Salish Sea, and that was only adopted like uh, ten or ten or twelve years ago. It's very young hmm. when 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 they began using that. And the Salish Sea is generally re, um, uh, lo- locally divided into what we call three neighborhoods. So Puget Sound is our piece of it. And then the Strait of Juan de Fuca is the, the next, the north mm-hmm. piece. That's the channel that goes out to the Pacific. And then north of the Strait of Juan de Fuca, which is like the San Juan Islands up into British Columbia, that's called the Strait of Georgia. So those are your three prime neighborhoods. So if you, if you want to isolate it and you want somebody to know in the Salish Sea where you live, you know, you would just, just like you would say, I live in, you know, the north end of Tacoma. You know, I live mm-hmm. in the Puget Sound sector of the Salish Sea. But the Puget Sound is just this this piece where you know the the Seattle to Olympia stretch of it, so mm-hmm. or up to the Strait, um, yeah. So that's the name. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know if I've ever heard it called that before <coughs> until um, I heard a couple of your talks. Yeah. So I think that's interesting. Um, so uh, kind of diving into a little bit more personal experiences with you, um, I was listening to a conversation that you had with some students, I'm assuming, or some people in the community when uh, you were at uh, UW Tacoma, and you told a story about, a very personal story about your connection with the sea itself and um, a dream that you had, a reoccurring dream. And I really personally thought it was inspiring. Would you mind sharing a little bit about that or kind of diving into that for us? Yeah, so... The the dream thing, um, yeah, it began f- for me like um, in high school, um, pretty early. I was probably fifteen years old or something in there, fourteen maybe. And uh, you know, it was family life was going through a pretty rough patch. Uh, my parents were uh, were getting divorced, you know, like a lot of a lot of, a lot of families do, <clears throat> and. It was a, it was a pretty heavy, heavy one for sure, and it it wasn't over quickly. It, it took uh, several years to to really do that, and uh, you know there were some pretty intense moments through that whole experience. You know, battles and stuff with you know their situation. So one particular night um, was pretty hot, and uh, you know I, I ended up I was you know in my room and had my door closed and, you know, had the music up so I could kind of drown out what was going on out there. And, and it got pretty scary. <clears throat> and so I ended up, uh, you know, I'll spare the details of that, but I ended up, you know, falling asleep under, under my desk, you know, on the floor under my desk. I just, I kind of fell asleep in that way that you just, you're not sure you're going to wake up, you know, like I, uh, there was nothing left, nothing left in me at all. I, uh, I just, mm-hmm kind of passed out, if you will, you know, and, um, and in, in my sleep that night, I had this really, really vivid dream of, uh, that I was in the water and it was just, just crystal clear that, and, and all around me, I, I became surrounded by, uh, dolphins and orcas and we just swam together, you know, we just moved together through the water, just, <clears throat> and that's all there was to it. And it, it was so uh, intense that when I woke up the next morning, I had completely forgotten about what had happened the night mm. before. I actually woke up, I think I woke up smiling. You know, mm. like I woke up like 
completely at peace. It was the, it was awesome. And, and it was, it was that kind of wake up too, where I had to like untangle the night. I like, I had to realize that I had not actually been out swimming in the ocean with dolphins and orcas. And, and, um, cause you woke up on the floor. Still? Yeah. Or, yeah. I woke yeah. up on the floor of the desk. You know? <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, <laughs> so I, I didn't, you know, it took a while. It took, it took several minutes for me to kind of, uh, come to my aware, you know, awareness of reality. And I was like, Oh yeah, that's right. That, that crazy thing happened last night, you know, like, but it was like, it had given me enough air in my lungs to breathe. Like all the, the mm-hmm. pressure and the anxiety had been relieved long enough that I could get back up, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, and, and it was like just enough, you know, it was just what I needed. And, and so that was that, you know, there was that moment and <clears throat> throughout life thereafter, I would have that as a recurring dream when, when the pressure valve of life got too intense, when there was, when there was a moment of uh, heightened uncertainty mm. or when there was a moment of just absolute fear or terror. <clears throat> so you'd go to bed in different situations in your life being overwhelmed and this dream would come to you. Yeah, and, and I don't want to make say like I had a life full of being overwhelmed. It wasn't like it happened often. It, it could go years without without mm. happening, but mm. it would but it would happen. And and it was and and I wouldn't know it. I wouldn't go to sleep like thinking, oh, I hope I have a whale dream. It wasn't even that. Mm. It would, in fact, it would startle me. It would it would it would almost shake me. Like it would it was like you're you're under load right now. <laughs> mm. Here's here's some air, you know. And, um, you know, and, you know, I was 23 when I, when I moved across the country and, and, you know, I, I jumped in a truck with a friend and, and we just went for it. You know, we didn't have any money. We didn't have any, you know, there was no trust fund or, or any kind of support, you know, financially. We just went and we didn't, we didn't care. You know, there was no, um, we didn't, couldn't sense the risk, you know, but there were moments in that, in the, in those years, you know, in that development, when you get that far away from, you know, quote unquote home or, 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 you know, any kind of, there was nothing here, right. Yeah. That you, you get in some moments where you're like, whew, you know, I hope I'm going to make it through this. Right. And, uh, I mean, I realized I couldn't do that now. You know, like I don't have it in me to do that. Like I couldn't move 2,500 miles right now. (laughs) Like I'm not made of that anymore. You know, that was only something that comes with that, like that certain thick headedness of youth, right. That, that affords you the, the, the naive ambition to just boom, you know, yeah. throw it all out there. And and yeah. And you have so many <clears throat> anchors now, like, you know, yeah. in yeah. this place. So it's like not as big of a draw either to just like, well, yeah. it's out there. Right. Right. Yeah. I don't have that, that drive to, to like, it's here now, you know, now, now, yeah. now other things within this bubble derail me and make me, <laughs> go, you know, like, go to the mountains. like, like paddling across <laughs> the street, like we did like, or something like that, you know, yeah. but, um, so, you know, one of the the next pieces in this is that when I did get here, um, I was embraced by a couple and, and kind of adopted by this couple, and their names are Barry and Kathy. Okay, take your time. Let's <laughs> get emotional.
Thank you for being willing to talk about that. Yeah, so, so these guys, uh, yeah, they got me right away. Yeah, they, uh, we just did everything together. You know, we went hiking and camping and, and uh, biking and everything. And, and uh, yeah, Barry just was like a, like a dad, you know, like a surrogate father, you know, kind of thing. And he really understood me, you know, just completely, you know, in ways I didn't even have to explain him. <clears throat> and I, I was able to tell him, you know, about, you know, having these whale dreams, which we really didn't talk about, you know, I didn't tell anybody about it. Mm. You know, sometimes people can look at you like you're crazy when you do that. And, mm. And, um, but he totally got it and, uh, super cool. He would, he would talk to me about it. We'd lay in the tent, you know, up at Mount Rainier or something or on a trip, you know, we'd just have these long conversations uh, about this, about these things. And, and, uh, that was really cool. And, uh, eventually they, um, they ended up moving. They were uh, travel nurses. They were trauma nurses and, and, uh, their, their dream they were both trauma nurses. Yeah, they sure were. And their dream was to uh, be able to uh, to travel around to the West and experience some stuff that they that they enjoyed. Uh, they liked to climb and hike and stuff like that. So they 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 hit the road and they'd go work in a you know they'd go to Colorado or Utah or someplace and they'd spend uh, months and working. And uh, they ultimately ended up down in Tucson and they bought a farm down there and and were kind of setting up for their retirement and whatnot. And uh, it, it, Barry was real close to retiring. Um, he was working up in um, in Tucson. They, they actually lived about 100 miles outside of Tucson. And he would uh, he would go up and work a few days on it. You know, the travel nurse thing, if you don't know about that, like they those that job, like you hold the stick, right? You get to work whatever you want. And, um, and at his level, he was years of experience and highly certified. So he could kind of walk into a hospital and say, he just walk in anywhere and work, you know, and, and kind of say here, I'm going to work, you know, 10, five days on 10 days off, you know, kind of thing. And he would do that. So they had all this time to, to travel and, and, uh, and do their thing. So he was kind of nearing the end of that. And he was only working a few days a month. And he was, uh, he was riding a enduro bike, a motorcycle through the kind of the back dirt roads of, to get into Tucson. And, one morning he uh, he was going to work and a bunch of deer ran out in front of him and he clipped a deer and, and uh, threw him down and, mm. and tore him up pretty bad. <clears throat> and he was, gosh, 63, maybe, mm. 65. This was in 2013, November. And um, mm. I was talking to him on the phone and we were keeping it light, you know, and making all the deer jokes and stuff about, you know, getting caught trying to pass the buck and, <laughs> you know, and all this stuff. And, and, uh, and he was, he was just typical Barry, you know, he was one of these guys that could like had his commanding ability to cuss like a sailor and it just worked, you know, like yeah. he, it was like, you could do it in front of children and it didn't matter. You know, he just, it was just so natural for him. You know, it just, it wasn't ever, it never seemed to offend or be foul or crass. It was just who he was, you know, like some people can do that. Most people can't, you know? And, um, so we had a good laugh and stuff and, and a few days later, uh, Kathy called me, and and uh, they had not uh, seen that he had some little clots, blood clots in the mm. in the uh, base of his skull that, from the impact. And they passed through his brain, and 
and uh, that was pretty much it. So we, uh, you know, jumped on a plane with two hours notice and, and uh, flew down there, <coughs> and uh, we got to spend uh, a day with him. And and you know, we just like we just turned it into a party. You know, there was never a moment when I was with Barry where there wasn't jazz playing. Like if you were at his house or his garage or something, there was always like NPR was on. Just jazz was just wailing. So we just we were in the ICU and he's all plugged in and everything's going to shit and, and we just, we cranked up the jazz and we just started telling the stories, you know, and, hmm. and uh, That's a powerful thing. Yeah, it was cool. And, uh, yeah, we, yeah, we laughed and we cried. It was awesome. And, and, uh, uh, and then, you know, we were holding him when, uh, when he passed and, uh, What a beautiful moment. Incredible opportunity. That night I was asleep and uh, I had a dream. And I was standing right here on the shore in Tacoma, standing on the rocks. I was looking out of the bay and I see fins start coming through the water toward the shore. stepped up next to me, put his arm around me. I looked, I was like, Barry, look, they're coming, they're coming. You see this? And, uh, yeah, he just smiled. And we just watched. And then I woke up. And I had that air in my lungs to keep going. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was cool. I was super thankful for that. So then, uh, that was uh, that was November 2013. That was uh, November 13th, and um, and then the next year everything went went to hell. Um, mm. Had a um, well <laughs> hell in the back again. It was <laughs> went through a tremendous amount of um, changes uh, in my career, or not in my career, but work wise. There were some some things that. That, uh, that that presented some huge opportunities and and uh, had to just really like spend that year like in the cave just um, uh, doing a lot. You know, I, I, at that point, I, I became the executive director of the organization where I work, and I wasn't at that prior to that. And so, I kind of had to pull up my bootstraps and do some things with the organization there, professionally, and whatnot, and, and was really. Um, it was a really hard year. And by the time the end of 2014 came, um, oh, in, in the process of this, by the way, I had to miss, I was going to fly down and, and with some people and, and we were going to mark Barry's birthday in, in mm. that year and be together and just, you know, have that remembrance time. And I, I had to miss that because of, mm. of what was going on at work. And I was, I was pretty, that was pretty hard to do. And um, so by the time the end of 2014 came, like we get to Christmas and I, and everything's chill. Like we get businesses in good shape. We're back on our feet. Everything's good. And um, 
And I finally, it was like one of those first times in my life, I think I felt like I was going to take a vacation and I felt like it was justified. You know, yeah. a lot of times I think when you take time off work, you're always kind of looking over your shoulder, you're like checking email or you're thinking about work, mm-hmm. you know, it's hard to, hard to disconnect. But I, at that time I actually was like, no, I'm going to disconnect. This is going to happen. And, um, and I didn't go anywhere. I mean, I was just here, just time off, you know, I stayed at home. It wasn't like a vacation. We didn't go travel or anything, but, um, uh, <clears throat> it was just hanging around. And uh, it was New Year's Day of, of 2015. It was um, January 1st, and it was a beautiful day. It was one of those days where the you know north wind came in, cleared everything out, crystal clear. You could see Mount Baker. Mm-hmm. You could see every mountain from you know here to Alaska. <laughs> it was oh, wow. you know it was just super clear, right? Beautiful yeah. day, cold, you know, 30 degrees out, and um, a little cold. Yeah, you know, a little frost on the docks and stuff. And, and uh, I was like, I'm going to go paddling. You know, like, I just want to go out. And I just, sure, because that's like yeah. everyone's instinct. Yeah, <laughs> right. You know, I was just like, I'm going to go get on the water. And it was cold, but there's, you know, it's New Year's Day. No one's going to be out there. You know, so many times, you know, you go out here and you have the whole thing to yourself. You know, that's one of the, another beautiful thing about it. You can just get out there and be, be super distant and wild. And, mm. and um, so, so I was out and I'd been out for, you know, almost three hours, I guess. And I was, I was cold. I was ready to go in. And um, it was so beautiful. You know, it was, it was hard to walk away. And it was just so nice to be disconnected from everything. You know, I wasn't worried about what was going on at work. I was having, you know, restful time. And, uh, you know, it was you know, a lot of times when I'd go out sometimes, you know, I'd think about, you know, Barry and thinking about just everything, you know. And I was getting ready to go in. And, um, you know, and then and the story's been told a lot of times. But, <clears throat> um all of a sudden, off in the distance, something catches my eye, and I, I start seeing uh, black fins rising. In real life. In real life. In real life. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And I, and I, I said that to myself. I was like, I'm awake right now. You know, like, I'm not. Look at that. You know? <clears throat> and they were, they were going. They weren't, they weren't coming toward me. I was kind of in a position where they were kind of... Uh, going uh, kind of north and, and away from me a bit. They were kind of, you know, at an angle. So I was kind of watching them across the horizon, if you will. They were mm-hmm. probably half a mile, three quarter of a mile away. I could see them good. You know, I could see them breathing and jumping and stuff. I was like, wow, you know, just totally, totally blown away. And uh, it's just, you know, pot of orcas, you know, there was like seven of them. And, uh, and I was just sitting there floating, you know, just, I'm, I'm, sat down on my board to watch and and then uh and then i noticed they started to kind of change the direction and uh, kind of now they were going to kind of come across the top of me a bit you know i was going to kind of watch them from left to right if you will <clears throat> and they kind of started creeping a little bit closer you know and and uh i was just man i couldn't believe what i was seeing and then this one bull like got ahead of the group and uh this was a Full, fully mature bull. I mean, you know, ten thousand pound whale and then dorsal fin. You know, is almost <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, this dorsal fin. You know, is as tall as I am when I'm standing on my board. You know, and they're almost six feet tall on the, oh. the male dorsal fin. And are you, are you breathing? <coughs> yeah, I mean, I'm are like, you are you hyperventilating yet? So he's he's cruising ahead of the the pod. It, he's gotten several hundred meters up ahead of him, and, and now he's kind of going across in front of me, um, and he's he's a few hundred meters out from me. And um, and his fin is rising, and they go into below the surface, and then rising below, and he blows, and then he gets like right ahead of me, 
and his fin comes up out of the water and it completely comes to the surface, lets off this huge blast of air, and he just stops. He just quits moving. He's just floating on the surface there, sideways, you know, perpendicular to me. And I'm just like, whoa. So, like, <clears throat> how close is this huge animal? At this point, he's probably like, I don't know, maybe, maybe 300 meters, right? Like, so, you know, something like that, maybe, maybe less. And, um, and he's just sitting there, and then the fin rotates and faces me. Like, he just turns, and I'm like, oh, like, I think he's aware of me, right? You know, like, yeah. I think we have an awareness of each other right now. And then, uh, and then he starts to swim again, and then the fin just kind of dips down into the water as he's swimming toward me. I'm like, oh, boy, what's about to happen, you know? Like, <clears throat> there's no one around, you know? And, and then, you know, like a second later, he rises again and he's just, he's right there. He's right in front of me, immediately in front of me. And, you know, the wake of his movement, you know, moves me on my board and, and, uh, and he swims right under me, you know, and then within 20 seconds, the rest of the pod has come to him. So they all to me now. So I have all seven whales and they're, they've come to me and they're swimming around me and they're jumping. And, um, and at one point that, that bull, completely breaches out of the water he jumps and he rolls sideways and he's maybe maybe 15 feet from me you know like not barely the length of my board away from me and, he, and like when he lands in the water like he it splashes me you know like i get you know covered in water from this and there's I this imagine. i yeah. can't imagine and and there's a there's a female with a with a calf and um and the calf is still young enough that it's it's swimming like touching her you know they, they pull up right next to him and they just stay right tight and she's she keeps doing these passes around me with the calf like she she swims and they keep they keep popping up to the water to look at me i can see they bring their eye up and they're they're studying me with each pass and each time she's a little bit closer a little bit closer until finally she brings that calf right up against the board like they just she, yeah she just swims right wow. like within a foot of me you know and i'm like looking down i mean i could touch any of these whales they were that close you know and and uh for i don't know 15 minutes, 20 minutes, maybe they're just with me, you know, and I'm not paddling or anything. I'm just sitting there just swimming around me and, and I'd see streaks of white as they'd go under me and you know, upside down or something, or they, they come up and, you know, when they, when they come up and they make eye contact, you know, they, and they, they just stare at you and you can see their eye looking you up and down, you know, and you're looking into their eye and they're looking into yours and they're, you know, they're vocalizing and they're, you know, you can hear them and, and it's like, and I'm, I'm just, <laughs> a mess you know yeah. <laughs> you know i'm like talking to him you know i'm like crying i'm just like so excited i can't i'm just saying thank you you know just like i can't believe i'm i'm, I'm awake you know like this has been happening for almost 30 years in my sleep you know and um and here it is you know? yeah. and, and at the end of a punctuation mark in my life where it was just like you know like this massive reward and uh so eventually they, they kind of recollect and, and start to swim off. And I watch them from behind as they just kind of all regroup and, and swim away. And, and, uh, and I paddle back in and I get home. I like lost my voice just, yeah. you know, and like for the next three nights, I literally slept like 16 hours a day. It was like, I was completely exhausted, you know, <clears throat> and I wasn't like scared. I mean, I wasn't afraid of, I mean, you, you're, you know, there's all kind of like, instinctive fight or flight, you know, stuff. I mean, there's a lot of chemicals in your body going on when that's happening. You know, you're, you're alone with, you know, apex predators out in, 
you know, 500 feet of water. And, you know, yeah. you know, you, I mean, you, you think you're sure that everything's going to be okay, but you know, I don't know. I mean, I wasn't afraid of, of getting injured, but, but I was like, you know, it was like jumping out of an airplane, yeah. you know? And, um, and so this is literally a dream come true. Literally a dream come true. An experience completely, come true. Completely. Like, and it was, it was just like I had seen for almost 30 years, you know, like, it was so unreal to connect the two, you know, and, and, yeah. and so, you know, when, you know, you talk to other people, you know, I mean, I'm not the first guy that's ever happened to by any means and won't be the last, but, you know, I've met a lot of people who've had similar experiences, especially farther north where, they're more common, you know, where the whales are more pre prevalent. And, you know, we all kind of have this like same kind of wild look in a far away look in our eyes when we tell these stories, you know, because there's this weird thing that screws you up inside, you know, in, a, in an amazing way when, when you have that experience. And, but yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah I don't mean screws up like bad, but like, you know, like, We've but, built, yeah, yeah, it, you know, like you're a graduate of a new thing now, you know, yeah. you're like, and, um, and so that was, you know, since then, I mean, that's been the first of what has now been many encounters like that. Uh, it's not, you know, there's a picture here, this, this girl here, um, she was one of the whales that saw me that day. And this is the second time she'd come to see me and, and looked at me. And she came up and she put her, her nose up under my foot. And, you know, and then I didn't see her at first, you know, I have a foot in the water oh my <laughs> and, gosh. And, and, uh, and then she rolled up and just hung out and looked at me and just stared at me, you know, which is like, and you know, I've, I've paddled with, with dolphins but, that have done the same that, that want to just like herd you like a little herder dog and, and, and study you and then just lay on their side and they just stare at you, you know, they just peer into your eyes, you know, and that I've, I've paddled with, you know, humpback whales that have done the same that have, you know, 40, 45 foot whale comes up and, and, and looks at you and, and groans, you know, and just, you know, and, and they're kind of clumsy. Like they're not like, orcas like <laughs> super articulate. I always kind of joke that, you know, you could tell an orca to like press the cue on your phone and they could text, wow. you know, they could yeah. do that. But, uh, you know, um, um, humpback kind of, I don't, I think they think they're a lot smaller than they are. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so they kind of they're like a giant husky yeah. that yeah. wants to be a laptop. Yeah. I think they, yeah. They don't understand how to snuggle. So they, um, <laughs> so, you know, but, but I, you know, it's never lost on me, you know, like it's the same every time, you know, as far as like, I can't believe this is happening, you know, mm -hmm. and, and what's crazy is that it's happening like right here, you know, like, yeah. you know, that, that's one of the things that. Like 15 minutes. Yeah. How long does it take you to leave 10? your house, get in your car and get down there? It, it, if you draw a straight line from here to the water, it's 1.3 miles. Okay. So, yeah. You know, it's a little further to drive because of the couple of turns I have to go through and the stop sign, you know, but. <laughs> It's, you know, just a few minutes. You know, You're just so. having this, like, incredibly wild, far-out, yeah. intense experience. Completely. Like 1.5 miles from your house. That's I know. so cool. Yeah, it's, that's, that's so so weird. And, and, you know, that, you know, it's not easy. I mean, people, I know I have friends that paddle all the time and paddle for years. I'm like, I've never seen a whale. Why do you see so many whales or whatever? And it's just, you know, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. You know, it just do, you know. And, and we, you know, I, I, you know, it's. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's like the most important part to me, that connection, you know, those experiences. I mean, that's cooler than going 
going fast or racing or going to events or whatever like that. I mean, these are like big things, you know, and, yeah. and to have that connection, those relationships and to see it, you know, replayed so many times is, um, it's, it's powerful. So, Story. <laughs> yeah, no, thank you for, I mean, I feel very blessed to be able to hear that story firsthand. Thank you for sharing. I know it's very personal, um, but it's obviously powerful. And um, I just think it's incredible that the city of Tacoma kind of bringing it back up a little bit. Um, I think it's such an incredible blessing for Tacoma to have um, somebody on their South Sound Sports Commission director who has this experience and this passion and this heart um, and this lifelong stance of experience to bring that to what you do here and what you do for the city. I mean, that's a huge connect right there um, to, to be able to bring people to the city. Like you have a real reason mm-hmm. for why you want people here and why you believe people should be here specifically. Yeah. Thanks. It's, um, you know, I just go back to that geographic platform thing and I'm, so thankful that we're able to, you know, kind of take down that proverbial fence that I think prevented so many people from having an experiences that they mm-hmm. could, you know, um, <clears throat> if I was, you know, a little older, <laughs> if I was, you know, in my fifties or sixties, I, I might not have had this, you know, or maybe I would have had it from a, a yacht or something silly, you know, I mean, it's not, very different experience to be have a human power craft experience, you know, a connection to the wild, you know, it brings you much, much closer to it. I tell people all the time, you know, to really the best way to go experience the water is from that, you know, don't, don't do it from the ferry or from somebody's boat. I mean, those are fine and there's beautiful ways to experience that, but this brings you much closer to it. And there's almost like, I don't mean to interrupt, yeah. but there's almost um, a tier of experiences that you can go through. I mean, um, almost any tourist can come to this area and, you know, go on the ferry or walk on the waterfront and enjoy that beauty. You know, you, um, I just went down to the art museum the other day with my kids and, mm-hmm. you know, you, you walk down the stairs to get around to the front of the glass museum, mm-hmm. even, which is next door, and you're right there on the water. Yeah. And it's just an incredible experience. But to be able to kind of take those tiers, you know, you can go on hikes in the area, be a part of, mm. um, you know, even Wright Park, there's a small yeah. forest in the middle of the city. Um, but then to kind of even tear it down to being able to walk on Owens Beach and walk on the, the rocks, you can you can take your two-year-old to go and do that. Yeah. Um, but to, to be able to rent or borrow or, you know, buy a board and just get on that board and immediately be a part of nature. Yeah, that's a pretty incredible, you know, tier yeah. of experiences. Yeah, and it's it's so through. accessible. You know, that's that's another huge thing is like so many times, um, you know, to get these kinds of experiences, people will think that they need to displace themselves farther away. And I and I think that was kind of part of the old identity here was you know if you wanted to go see whales or you wanted to have a wild experience, you know, you went you had to go to the San Juans or something like that. And and the entire entire Salish Sea is you know part of that narrative of, of wild, of connectivity between nature and, and, and man. And, you know, our end of it in the, in the Puget Sound, you know, this is where, you know, the most settlement has occurred and the most industrialization has incurred, occurred. And um, I don't know whenever I ever want to come off as, as someone who's uh, against those things. I understand how, I mean, it's mm-hmm. a byproduct of mankind and, and population growth and, and those things. And, uh, but there are consequences to it. You know, that, that's just the fact, you know, um, good, bad, or otherwise. And, and um, 
uh, you know, in a, in a span of about 100 years around here, there was a pretty substantial change in how people behave against the water. It kind of became a toolbox, and that, that was true of Tacoma, very true of Tacoma, and, and, and several other cities along the way. And, and that result of that had an impact on how people socially behaved against the water. They didn't use it. You know that in that mm-hmm. way, you know they just didn't see it as as that kind of resource. Um, they didn't have the opportunity. You know, it's like it's like when you buy a cup of coffee. There's there's two very different ways to do it. You can go to a drive through and and get a cup of coffee and drive away and have it, or you can go sit down someplace yeah. and face somebody and and enjoy it socially yeah. and have a conversation. Um, and so when we when we we see this kind of um, social change here and, you know, we clean up the shore and we make it accessible and all that stuff. People behave differently as a result of it. And we're, we're, we're still seeing growth in that, in that behavioral change here. Like people, more and more people every summer around here are approaching the shore and, and trying to, uh, to have an experience or, or test an experience or just they're curious, you know, they just like, well, what's going on here? And, <clears throat> And that's reflected in the number of people that are, you know, renting craft or buying craft and all that. Just you can just see it. You can just drive down the shore and see more and more people interacting and swimming in the water and, and playing and 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 that ripples out. That has a huge effect, you know, and that brings mm-hmm. people closer to nature in ways that um, that they weren't doing when it was, you know, riddled with mills or something like that. You know, so. yeah. Yes. So it's really interesting. Um, like obviously you had this kind of innate like desire as, as a kid to like go explore and be outside and do all this stuff. And then you, and then on top of that, you've had all these like profound experiences that have, you know, I would say like further deepened that love for these things that you already had a passion for. Um, which is, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) big time. Right. And so, but then I think what's really cool is kind of moving into another thing that you have done is you've taken those passions and profound experiences and and then you've said like, okay, now what can I, what can I do with this? How can I, mm-hmm. how can I help others? Um, and so, you know, we're, we, we love talking about like, what gets you excited to wake up in the morning? And um, you're taking that like another step further. Like not only do these things make me excited to wake up in the morning, but I want to share them with others. And then I want to give back to others. Um, so tell, tell people about your, um, the paddling races and stuff that you do and the charity um, <coughs> events that you've created. And, and you can maybe talk a little bit more about the mo- motivation behind that. It seems like fairly obvious to me, <laughs> yeah. uh, which is like all everything you just shared. So, so yeah, there's a, a few things here. I guess we'll kind of go, um, in no particular order here, but, um, on a on a on a level that's bigger than local, but it is a local one. Is uh, one of the initiatives that uh, I'm very thankful to be a part of uh, is a group called Monster and Sea, and um, that was uh, a brand and a, and a product created by um, a guy, uh, a Seattle guy named Troy Nebaker. And Monster and Sea is a project that is built to help families that are wrestling with cancer. Um, but I want to stop right there and make a really distinct point on this, that this is not some big corporate NGO project. This isn't like, uh, you know, putting a dollar in a bucket that goes off to an office. You know, mm-hmm. this is, right. this is, um, 
So Troy, you know, his wife had gotten cancer a few years ago, had gotten double back to back cancers mm. and, and is okay, by the way, I went, that's a happy ending there. Um, very, very fortunate that they caught it the way they did. Um, but it was a very difficult time. And, it, and it, he realized in that process that, uh, how much of a family is affected, you know, at once when, when cancer lands in a home yeah. and, and that it's not just the person who's fighting cancer, but it's the, you know, the, the kids and the spouse and, and whatnot. So, um, when he started Monster and he's like, look, let's just, he started selling some shirts and has and things he still does. And, and the, you know, the proceeds off that go into um, donations that just go straight to a family. So, hmm. you know, we'll just boil it down to if one of you sitting here, we found out you had cancer. Somebody say, Hey, you know, sure. really need some bad news. You know, well, you might the next day wake up and there'd be an envelope in your mailbox with a thousand dollars. And, you know, um, it's very tangible, <clears throat> very tangible. And it just is like, look, just, do something that's not cancer or whatever. It doesn't matter. There's no stipulation of this, you know, like some people don't even keep it. Some people are like, ah, I'm not that sick, you know, and they give it to someone else, you know, mm. it's weird. So you know? it's very open-ended. You don't even have to spend it on like getting yeah. better. You just, whatever you no, want. No, no, it's yeah. not for, yeah. I mean, you know, a thousand bucks doesn't put a dent in a medical bill. I mean, sure. You spend a thousand bucks just walking by the front door of an office when you have cancer. You yeah. know? So, <laughs> you know, there's, there's, there's stuff for that. You know yeah. I mean? It, yeah. It's, it, that is such a, that's such a monopoly money world of inflated yeah. crap, you know, like yeah. it could be millions of dollars to, you know, and, and, uh, so, so this is really more something like, look, you know, people will use it to go book a hotel room, you know, or, or go shopping or go to dinner, whatever, you know, yeah. it doesn't matter, you know, um, to borrow one of your phrases, it's a breath of fresh air. It, is. it allows yeah. them to catch their breath in whatever way they need. Exactly. It's exactly right. So, so the, um, so that, that group is a, you know, it originated here. It's kind of all over the country now. People that are that are participating in, in helping raise money for that, and that um, the biggest expression of that in a year is is actually coming up next weekend. And what we do is uh, we do a twenty four hour paddle, and it's called the twenty four. And um, this will be the fourth year of it. And uh, I'm going to get my numbers wrong here, but if I if I recall <laughs> approximately, I think the first year we did it, it raised like six thousand dollars. I think the second year it raised like. $40,000. And I think the third year is like $130,000. So, so it, um, and it's, it's done, you know, what's happened is other groups across the country are replicating it. They're, they're hosting these little 24 hour paddles in their communities. And we typically do it with a team of six people and mm -hmm. we, we work in pairs to you know, three groups of two and, uh, we paddle for 24 hours. We do a relay cycle and we, and, um, uh, you know, okay. As a team, so yeah. you're really, I just, yeah, yeah, I, you're not yeah. actually paddling for 24 no, hours. Nobody, or? I don't think anybody in the group has done a, a solo 24 yet. Okay. Um, somebody will. That's not just yeah, me going yeah. like, holy crap. But, but, <laughs> but you do, you know, you paddle for 10 to 12 hours and, and you don't, and uh, over 24. Just, so you don't, you don't sleep for like 32 hours. You don't sleep, you know, because the time you get up, you know, in the morning to leave, to go to the event, to the time you've done with the event. I mean, I, I, I think the best I've done is maybe stitch together 50 minutes of like what would be like sleeping on an airplane, you know, where you're just kind of in the corner with your eyes closed, but you know, I don't know if you ever really sleep. So that's the, that's the challenge is it's very disruptive, but, and you go all night, you know, at three o'clock in the morning, whatever our, our local one, you know, we do it on Lake union. So, you know, we're, we see Seattle go through a full night, which is really interesting. Huh. <laughs> well, yeah, especially uh, in the weekend. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the, the tempo of the city, you can watch it, you know, like explode and you watch it go to sleep and yeah. <laughs> you watch it rise. <laughs> yeah. 
it's very, very dynamic. And um, so next weekend is our event. We're actually going to have three teams in Seattle this year, so three groups of six. Um, and then, I don't know, there's – I can't even keep up. I think there's 40 teams across the country this year so mm-hmm. um, that are doing this. So everybody does it on the same 24-hour window, and, mm-hmm. and some are way up north in Canada where they're like one year they were like dealing with ice and – and one of the crews one year in North Carolina, you know, they had like a, uh, somebody got bumped by a shark at four in the morning, you know, and, you know, like, you know, there's some pretty, that, that, there was some adrenaline into your, yeah, there's some, your pretty, ride. some pretty cool stuff that comes out of it, you know, and, and so uh, it's, it's a cool thing. And at the end of it, you know, we put together all these envelopes and, you know, none of the money stays in the house. There's no admin fee. There's no, it's, it's like a rogue initiative, you know, mm. there's no, um, there's no application process. I mean, it's not riddled with any of that. It's just look here, you know, straight up. So love it. Yeah. So it's really good. So that's next weekend. So that's a big one, the 24. And, um, and how can people find out more information about that if they want to participate or donate or probably I will just keep it within the silo here. If you, if you link to my Instagram or whatever, uh, I have the GoFundMe link in my, in my, uh, Profile, yeah, my Instagram. Cool. So, so there, so you can donate to that. Um, and um, your pictures are awesome. Oh, thanks. Yeah. So, and then, <laughs> and then the other stuff, as far as like the, the other racing yeah. stuff goes, you know, the other half of this. Um, so last year, I, I took on a little project, and I, I did stage one of the race to Alaska. So I paddled from Port Townsend to Victoria, which is forty-two miles across the Strait of Juan de Fuca, and uh, the race to Alaska is is this big. Um, non-motorized epic adventure that goes from Port Townsend to Ketchikan. Insane. Yeah. yeah, it's just I've heard I've, I've, it's, yeah, it's, it's really super cool. insane. It's, it's awesome. Totally insane. Yeah. So yeah. you're just people <laughs> and small tiny little small crafts. Yeah. 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 Sailboats, whatever. You know, it's the race to Alaska that allows anything without a motor. Okay. Oh okay. so um, okay. that's the race to Alaska. Now um the the by the way, I'll take this moment to to call out um somebody who's wildly famous in adventure circles now my my dear friend carl kruger he did it he paddled a paddleboard all the way he did the whole the whole, se- that story. The whole 750 yeah. mile run so you can yeah. uh, there's a great podcast with him on dirtbag diaries yeah. that i so recommend good. everybody listen to um and uh and he's also right now um this is public now he his next project that he hopes to do for 2019 is to paddle the um the northwest passage which is over the top you know, so from like Prudhoe Bay to, you know, to the end. And so it's like 2,300 miles or something like that. So, um, and he really wants to, uh, to focus on, um, uh, the climate change narrative on that and looking right. at that up there, because, you know, the fact that you can go through the Northwest Passage now is, you know, you couldn't do that for yeah. a long time. So, um, so he's going to do it on a paddleboard. So very interesting project. Um, you know, just, uh, uh, not to, not to hype it with any fear or anything, but, you know, Polar bear can swim seven knots, you know, for like 40 miles in open water. So I did, I would, yeah, I did not yeah. think that. I mean, through. They're, they're, uh-uh. they get scared really mm-hmm. easy. So if you, you know, you, you know, you bang something, they tend to take off. But, you know, it's a big critter that can go a long way for it, it, it a speed faster than you can. So, <laughs> so, you know, there's stuff like that out there. You know, it's a, it's a big, big project, you know, and, and uh, I'm super stoked for him on this. So, um, <clears throat> but anyway, so, so I did stage one last year, which is, you know, kind of, probably the biggest channel crossing in the world for paddleboards. Um, we, uh, we went across, it was pretty exciting. We had a massive storm coming in on us. That was scaring the life out of us. It was, it was a frightening day. And, um, and it was, it was fun. So we took that. 
it was, you know, I mean, it was not boring. It was not boring. Yeah. You know, it was, you know, I, I can't, like I said earlier, I, I don't have the energy to move 2,500 miles anymore. That scares me. But, I know, right? But I'll go, you know, face uncertainty of this and, you know, go unsupported across. The, well, we had zero visibility, by the way. It was complete fog out, rain day. In fact, in one of the shipping lanes, we heard a ship go by that we never saw. You know? <laughs> it was like, it was crazy. But it was, um, and then. Because this is a, an active port. It's an active, there's three major shipping lanes. Yeah. Like that. Yeah, it's 42 miles open water. And, and there was no sight of land. For five hours, we couldn't see land at all. And um, there were 60 craft that started that day, and only 20 made it because of the storm. And um, some of them got... Made it because they decided to pull off to the side. No, made it because they got blown 23 miles off course because they, the storm hit them. There were nine rescues in a mayday. And um, it, was, it, was, it was actually epic. Like, there was, <laughs> there was some issues. You know, this, this, th- that day changed how this year's race to Alaska is being managed. Like wow. there was some, there was some talking to, to some skippers that night, you know, like, and then, or that when they got in, I mean, there were people that used all 36 hours to, to finish that race because of it. We did it in, in, um, seven, we were the ninth craft in and, um, we just, congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. It was, <laughs> it was yeah, it was no small thing. It was, a, it was a very exciting and, uh, but it was very real threat and some people, got nailed. So, um, so we took, I, I had begun this kind of what's been a pretty long relationship now with the, the crew at the Northwest Maritime Center. And, um, I'll, I won't go too far into this, but I, I'd had for a long time kind of percolating this, this other project idea in my head that I wanted to somehow get to, which was kind of what I was thinking in my own language was a working man's epic. Mm-hmm. Um, I am not going to go to Ketchikan. It's just not in my bandwidth in my life to, to try to take on a race that big for a lot of reasons. Um, I would love to, but it's just, it's just too much. Um, but I also don't want to just do short races, you know, like I want to do something epic. So we, we sat down and, and presented this idea. I said, what if we paddled from Tacoma to Port Townsend? What if we, what if we rolled into the start of the race to Alaska? What if we arrived when the race to Alaska was starting? You know, when we, we kind of completed the, the Puget Sound, like the whole Salish Sea, now we, we pick up the south end of it. And so that was the genesis of the idea. Ultimately, what we arrived at was uh, this race that we call the 7048. And the name is the distance and the time. You have, it's 70 miles and you have 48 hours to complete it. Mm-hmm. And the difference is in this ed- edition, there's it's human power only. There's no sails. Okay? So race to Alaska, you can sail. 7048, you cannot. So it's human power only. Paddles, so your, oars. your arms or your legs? Yeah, yeah. So you can have a pedal craft or you can row or you can take a canoe or an outrigger. Whatever you want it has to be human powered. And um, we just, this week, I think the... Uh, you can do that? Yeah, it's, it's the thing. And what's really cool, like back to the Tacoma side of the narrative here, is that this race is going to start on the FOSS in front of the Museum of Glass. Oh, wow. Now, if we go back earlier in the conversation, we noted that that was the very first EPA Superfund waterway in the nation, right? So we're going from, like, the most toxic cleanup spot to now we're going to host this, like, historical, epic adventure of human power, you know, that's going to start right there. So um, what a huge shift, right? Yeah. Yeah. Massive, massive identity shift in how that waterway has been. You know, when I moved here... That was a toilet bowl. I mean, the shoreline was gross. You know, there was drugs and d- disgusting water. 
And here we are now. We're going to have this massive event. It's going to start in front of the Museum of Glass with, you know, Tuhuli's wow. art and all this amazing stuff. Yeah. We just, this week... Uh, From a cleanup <clears throat> to now a location where not only are there these massive museums, like yeah. tourist museums, right. um, to actually physically putting people's bodies into the water. Totally. Like this massive yeah. polar shifting, right? And um, and the... Cool. I think we're at, we're coming up on it. We almost have 90 teams in this now registered already i mean it's that's a lot it, of people yeah yeah it's uh it's very exciting so uh, it's been fun and i all season you know as we go through the winter i've been every time i'm out in the water i meet people that are here training that have never that i've never seen before in tacoma you know that are like yeah i'm training for 7048 like man this is great you know this is so cool so all these you know and, and i see it online all the time all these people posting pictures and maps and stuff where they've been down here paddling and they want to scout it out and check it out and and it's uh you know we've had people from all over the country and one of the guys is from South Carolina who's going to race in it. And there is one guy, I believe, who's going to try to do the whole thing. He's going to go from Tacoma to Ketchikan. I think he's going to change. He's going to do human power to, to Port Townsend, and I think he's going to shift to a, to a sailboat for Ketchikan. But, yeah. but he's going to basically... He's not going to paddle the whole thing. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah, that's, that's, that a, that's like a tall a order. Wise, so, uh, yeah. wise change. So, yeah. Awesome. What an incredible like, come-to-fruition process. Yeah. Just for you personally to be able to witness this transition, um, I mean, what an, like I feel like I should say congratulations again, <laughs> not not just for yourself, but I mean, yay Tacoma to yeah. kind of take the lead on that. I'm just a tool in the thing, you know. I mean, I, I don't take anything for it. It's it's. I, I mean, I just recognize that any project, you know, we need somebody to help corral it. And I'm thankful that I am in a position to help do that. Yeah. Uh, but it, you know, it's, it's so easy when it's a reflection of the, 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 the opportunity that's right there. You know, we just, mm. it's right there. We just got to take it, you know? Yeah. Um, I have a quote from you that says that connecting people to the sea through experiences and stories. That's a passion for me. The mm. sea is an incredible teacher and place to find balance in life. Mm. Yeah. And so it seems like you have um, been able to kind of take that mantra for yourself and really speak it mm. to the city and yeah. and through some of these experiences. So. Yeah, absolutely. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, to kind of wrap it up here, if if you had anything that you would you would share with somebody about like finding their their place or their passion or what their their road is. Um, you have any advice that you might mm-hmm. give anyone? You know, I, I <clears throat> open yourself up to experiences. You know, that's we don't grow or change without that. And obviously, my place of passion for that is through the sea because it, it's it's rich with experience. I mean, you almost it, there's almost no guarantee anytime you go out that you know it's going to be the same. You know, um, so I like that because it it's constantly throwing the opportunity for experience at me, but it doesn't have to be that if that's not your thing, if you're scared of the water or something. I know people, I've met so many people through this that just their own visions of the sea are enough. You know, mm-hmm. they're, they're terrified of the water. You know, they, they only want to observe it from the shore, but through story and through photos and through, you know, the, those connections, they, they are fulfilled, you know, like they, they can have their dreams about, mm-hmm you know, what that looks like, even if they don't actually cross the threshold into the sea. But it the, just stills down to this is that I think you just have to be open to 
have experiences, whatever those may be. Don't don't be afraid to get to displace yourself from the norm, from mm. from something that you feel is certain. I, uh, you know, we've all seen a lot of people in our lives and, and are surrounded by it, and you know, maybe even struggle with it ourselves with complacency and, and the idea of security. And 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 I'm not saying go like you need to go take you know risk or, or you know health safety risk or whatever, but just you know, stepping into an environment that you're not certain about and, mm-hmm. and letting the experience reveal what it is and, and, and letting the conclusion of the experience be a question mark, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, it's okay to say, like, who am I going to be at the end of this? You know, you don't have to, you know, that, you know, to run a 5K, <laughs> you know, you, you can frame that exactly. You know exactly what's going to happen and how that's going to end and what it's going to look like, you know? And that's, and maybe that's a big challenge for you. You know, maybe uh, you may have a situation in your life where to do a 5K is like a, you know, tremendous end goal and i applaud that tremendously but um but in other instances it's okay to say i, I don't know how this is going to end and, mm. and, I'm, and i'm curious who i'm going to be when this when this does conclude and i'm not going to uh, assign my i'm not going to decide ahead of time what success feels like based on the finish line or not you know mm. um, Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> uh, there's nothing even left for me to say there. That's no, like, no. That, that's amazing. Yeah. I, I think that there's so many people that can hear this story and relate to different elements of it. And whether they're in the early stages in their journey where they're kind of going, okay, who am I? What do I want to do? What do I want to be? Who do I want to be? And kind of hearing that story of making that first step mm-hmm. into you know, a new experience and trying whatever that new experience might be. Uh, and then encouraging people who maybe have been doing this for a while to continue mm-hmm. to have those new experiences. Yeah. I think that's, um, that's great advice. Thank you. Cool. Yeah. Thanks guys. Thank you so much for sharing. Really appreciate your time. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for inviting us into your home and yeah, it's a beautiful you. space. It's great to see all your photos up on the wall. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously, go check out his Instagram. He's got awesome photos on there. Yeah. And, um, what's, uh, is there anything else besides like your Instagram where people can connect with you if they want? That's to the main one. You know, okay, we do Facebook too, but that's yeah. kind of going away, I guess. But yeah, Instagram is the best place. I mean, it's just it's all the same content. I just share it over to Facebook. So just yeah. the photos. It's at Tacoma and the Sea. At Tacoma and the Sea. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And we can also put a couple links down to seventy forty eight. Yeah. Um, and yeah. all those those different links. Yep. It's the word seventy and the number forty eight. Seventy forty eight Thanks so much for checking out our latest episode. Be sure to check out the show notes for any links and additional info related to this episode. You can find us on the web at theforgottenartproject.com. And we also want to make sure and let you guys know about our Facebook group. Check out our Facebook page and click on the link to our group and we will make sure and add you. It's a great opportunity to continue the conversations that we are having during our interviews and we would love to have you be a part of it. If you have a great story or you know somebody that has a great story that you think would be a great fit for our show, please feel free to use the contact form on our website or email us at theforgottenartstories at gmail.com. We would love to hear about how you are pursuing what makes you alive. 
If you'd like to support this project, we've created an opportunity for you to do so. You can go to patreon.com forward slash the forgotten art project. And for as little as a cup of coffee or $4 a month, you can help us move this project forward and get some new equipment. Our first goal really is just to get some nicer equipment. You can hear how nice this microphone sounds. We'd like to get a few more of these so that the audio quality sounds fantastic for all of you folks to hear. We are truly honored to get to share your story.